0: Hi, I'm Ben Flaschenberg and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about the top tips for the pushing stage of labor. So if you are having a vaginal birth and it's time for that baby to make itself completely earthside, we need to get that baby out of your body through some form of pushing. So we are going to talk about the most advantageous positions to birth that baby. And even if your care provider is not keen on having you in other positions than your back, how to get around that. How to even have a conversation with the birth team to help support what best serves you as the one pushing. We're going to also talk about some adverse outcomes of pushing ineffectively, kind of that purple pushing or perineal tearing or rest in descent or or even cesarean. So to have this conversation, I have the birth nurses. It's Shayna Brickner and Liz Wade. They are two labor and delivery nurses with a combined 40 years of experience working in Los Angeles, California. They're both moms, nurses, and childbirth educators and are passionate about helping others have a smooth hospital birth experience. I truly enjoyed this conversation. And what was also great is we didn't just talk about, here are some ideas for birth. We talked about even with knowledge, even with ideas, what my birth was like, what their birth was like, and how our bodies and babies also have their own ideas of what works. For example, I thought that my baby was just going to kind of walk right out. I thought it was going to be much smoother than it was. And even with all that knowledge as a doula and a birth educator and, and a prenatal teacher, I used parts of the idea of pushing that I never thought I would Yeah, I had some definite valsalva breathing to get that baby out, and I never thought I would. So we go over all of that in this episode. Now, before we get to that, as always, I just like to say a big thanks for being part of our community. Thanks for listening. We are continuing our commitment to our online classes seven days a week. We have in-studio classes six days a week. We're continuously adding more classes. We are now at the point that our online... uh, what is it? on-demand workshops will match what we offer in studio, which is super exciting so that if you can't make it to the Upper West Side, we've got our on-demand libraries. You can check that out. So feel free to head over to Prenatal Yoga Center, take a peek at that. We also are going to be gearing up soon for our next round of prenatal yoga teacher trainings. I finished recently the postnatal teacher training. So I'm taking a little break for the summer, but then we're jumping back in. We have Three online teacher trainings, prenatal teacher trainings, then an in person prenatal teacher training in New York City, and then back online for the postnatal teacher training next year. So check all that out if you are the person that wants to support someone in the perinatal community. I've got you covered there. All right, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy top tips for the pushing stage of labor. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Shana. Hi, Liz. How are you? Good. Hi. You're doing good. Oh, I'm so excited to jump into talking about tips for pushing because I have students ask about that all the time. But before we dive into that, I would love to learn a little bit more about the two of you and how did you each get into birth work and then how did you end up working together?
1: Oh, interesting. Um, This is Liz. Um, Birth work. Well, I transferred from the medical surgical department at UCLA into labor and delivery to take a little rest, I'm putting quotes in the air, (laughs) and learn something new. It wasn't that I had a burning desire to do maternal child health or labor and delivery. I just thought I'm going to just choose something different. It was going to be this or the ER. And 33 years later, I'm still here. (laughs) I started teaching birth education about seven years into labor and delivery and opened my business, Birth and Beyond, here in Santa Monica, while continuing to be a part-time labor and delivery nurse. And um, I've been a labor and delivery nurse ever since. Amazing. Yeah, just love it. I thought it was my calling and um, never ceases to amaze me how much I still enjoy it.
0: That's fantastic. It's actually just thinking about labor and delivery nurses this morning, and Mm. it is such an important job. And I love that you are so passionate about helping birthing folks and staying attuned in the childbirth education world and taking a... going above and beyond. So thank you for the work you do. It's a
1: lot of responsibility for sure. It
0: is definitely. Shana, what about you?
2: Yeah, for me, I was interested in labor and delivery from this moment I started nursing school. Um, my dad is a doctor. He had, um, he was a family practice doctor and he would deliver babies. And so when I was 17, he took me to a hospital to kind of shadow, Um, a labor and delivery nurse. And I was simultaneously shocked and surprised, but also (laughs) fell in love with labor and delivery. And so that's why I started nursing school, just to be in labor and delivery. But then I transitioned to lactation in 2019. And so now um, I'm lactation consultant and I left the hospital setting, but that's where Liz and I met. We met um, at the hospital where we both worked and where she still works. And I knew that she was teaching birth classes on the side. And I was like, I think I want to do that too. I want to help families before they even get to labor and delivery to know what to expect in a hospital setting for labor and birth and to help ease the whole process, make it a smooth process. So we take out all the fear. We take out all the um, wondering, you know, what's going to happen to me and how is this going to work in my body? So I knew that Liz was doing that. I kind of asked her to mentor me in a sense. And so uh, at the same time that I started my lactation training, I started my business, Preparented, where I do uh, birth classes and newborn classes and breastfeeding classes. So we kind of just our worlds meshed together, and then we started our podcast, and the rest is history.
0: <laughs> Amazing. All right. So let's dive into your top tips for pushing for labor. So, what do you typically see? I guess it's been more for Liz because she's in the LD room. What do you typically see during the pushing stage that may not be the most advantageous? or effective?
1: You know, that's a great question. And as a labor nurse, when we get into the second stage pushing part, I remind my patients that there isn't a right or wrong way to deliver. Um, Sometimes there's more than one voice in the room. Um, I lovingly refer to it as the peanut gallery. Lots of people want to interject a lot of instructions. So I think one of the things that's not advantageous for the patient is to be told you're doing it wrong you're not pushing hard enough, that already puts a negative spin on what we're trying to do. So that's not effective. It's not helpful. Just using vocabulary that's negative. Sometimes it takes 20, 30, 40 minutes to kind of get into the groove of pushing Mm -hmm. till they really kind of get a rhythm down. And then effectiveness depends on several factors. One being readiness So if you're not ready, that means you don't have an urge. We often call it Ferguson's reflex, that's rectal pressure, Mm -hmm. or that expulsive, natural expulsive urge. If you don't have an epidural, then it's not productive to be pushing. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we um, sometimes there's something called a passive second stage, meaning fully dilated with no urge then the patient shouldn't be forced to push. So it's not advantageous or effective if there's no readiness, physical readiness. Now, some people do push really well, just on sense memory, Mm -hmm. right? We know how to push. We all go to the bathroom. Some women have already had a baby. They know what that feels like. And if they have an epidural, they may be in their brain and their body is following instructions. And that's great. People say, I don't feel like I'm pushing, but you are. So let's just Mm -hmm. continue. So we just want to make sure that we're listening to our patient and if there's no real urge not to rush that process.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. As a childbirth educator myself and then as a Mm -hmm. doula, when I had my own kids, I was expecting more of that ferguson reflex my friend called it vomiting out of her vagina she's like i just right. couldn't stop it and i'm like get it right, 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 right. <laughs> i i never had that and you know, we gave a long mm-hmm. rest and be thankful stage. Mm-hmm. And it just, I never had that immediate, like, Oh my God, I have to push. Right? Um, I mean, I eventually did, but I eventually pushed, but it was so interesting. So I'm, I feel like I kind of missed out on that a little bit. I'm well, that's to, talk about. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. Sorry, that's what I'm
1: talking about. That passive second stage. Some people don't have that urge and we're just like, well, let's just try. Yeah, I don't. And they say I don't
0: feel like I'm doing anything.
1: I'm like, but you are, and you are going to push a baby out.
0: Yeah, it. Def- I definitely thought the pushing was looked different in my Mm -hmm. mind than the reality. of it. And and I'd love, actually, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead, but the two of you both had babies and Mm -hmm. as I'm reflecting back on my own two birth stories Mm -hmm. and how the pushing stage did not match what I had thought it would be. Mm -hmm. What about the two of you having already, you know, been doing this work? Did you have a similar experience or was it kind of what you were expecting it to be?
1: Well, Shayna and I had drastically different experiences.
0: Um, I had a
1: um easy pregnancy after you know some obligatory morning sickness in the first trimester and then smooth come from a huge family. My grandmother on one side had ten kids. The other had two, um, both my sisters delivered vaginally. My mother had four vaginal births. So I was very prepared for easy peasy, never gave it a second thought until labor. (laughs) And I actually had pressure and urge to bear down at seven centimeters. So I thought, here we go. I'm going to get quick through transition and I'm going to push and it's going to be a done deal. And I ended up having a C-section for a persistent posterior lie. And I never got past seven centimeters. So I went right to the operating room after about 35 hours.
0: Ooh, Rectal
1: amazing. pressure, but no baby. <laughs> um, Naturally, I know,
2: right? <laughs> and I have three kids. My first two, I, um, well, my first, I attempted to go all the way totally unmedicated. And then at nine and a half centimeters, well, I was feeling pushy. Um, around six or seven centimeters, similar to Liz, but they said, nope, don't push. You're going to make your cervix swell. So they had me do these like grunty pushes just to like satisfy the urge that I had to push, Mm -hmm. but to not do full on sustained pressure to push. So I did that for several hours. And then at nine and a half centimeters, I was like, I can't do this. I need an epidural. So I went through the whole process of getting an epidural, sitting up, Punching over my back, the whole thing. And they put in the epidural and it didn't work. Uh, it took like 20 to 30 minutes of sitting and, you know, getting the whole procedure done. And then I felt my left leg go a little bit tingly and warm. And they're like, How do you feel? What's your pain level? And I was like, It's a 10 out of 10. Feels <laughs> like there's a bowling ball in my butt. And I, they get on my back, they check me and they're like, Oh, you're ready to push. So, um, I guess I did kind of do that one totally unmedicated, but I for sure felt like vomiting out of my vagina. <laughs> I, I call it, uh, like you're on a runaway horse and it's just taking you along and you can't stop it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or like you're dry heaving, but the opposite way because it's just coming and you can't stop it. And then with my second, um, that was totally an unmedicated hospital birth. And I didn't feel that um, fetal ejection reflex like I Mm -hmm. did with my first. I just felt so much pressure and I couldn't even tell if I was pushing, but it was so fast. It was like less than 10 minutes and he was out. So I guess I kind of pushed. I don't know. Um, And then with my third, I had an epidural because I just wanted to see what that was like. And he was posterior. So he was a sunny side up quote unquote. And I pushed for an hour and a half. I was in a million different positions. Ultimately they used a vacuum to pull him out. I had done most of the work and they just did like a 30 second, not even 30 second, Mm -hmm. a 10 second pull with the vacuum and he was out. But the along with being posterior, he also had a really short umbilical cord. So Mm. every time I was pushing, um, they were seeing D cells on the monitor and everyone's freaking out. There's 10 people in the room, you know, the whole NICU team. And, um, finally he came out, but that was my hardest pushing stage. Um, and I attribute it to him being
0: posterior. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so interesting that out of the three of us, so many different experiences. So it, what's great for the listener to realize is there is no one way to expect it. And even if you've had babies or teach this or been rare babies, the body can have, you know, just such different experiences. All right. So thank you um, for sharing. It's good Tell yeah. us about yours. <laughs> Oh, so my first was very long. Um, mm-hmm. I pushed for about five hours with oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I really thought I would just kind of breathe him out. I did not. I did not breathe, just breathe him out. <laughs> I. We wow. tried every position there was to do. I ended up, I think by pure exhaustion, I was on my side for a good part of the end, kind of like mm-hmm. passing out between pushes. And I do remember yelling down to my midwife, Can't you just pull him out? Um, right. And she did ask, She's like, Do you want me to cut an episiotomy? And I'm like, No, I don't. Um, so <laughs> I think his head was asynclitic. So it took a yeah. bit to finally yeah. nudge him out. And I did what I thought I would not do. And we're going to talk about it later, but I had to use that balsava breathing. And yeah. I needed. People to count, which I never Mm -hmm. thought. I'm like, I will just breathe this baby out. No one needs to count. But if I didn't have somebody counting, I would have pushed for maybe three counts. And I know that you do need to make a little more progress than that. (laughs) So I needed them to talk me through that. Now for my second it was like six minutes. I remember yeah. at one point I was in the shower, they got me back to the bed and I laid down and I literally yelled, I think something's coming out. Now the bag of water hadn't broken. So it was the bag first and then it broke and she was out and like, I don't really remember pushing. It was like two Fantastic. contractions. I know. Fantastic. so. Very different. And it's funny because the kids are kind of the same. My daughter would be like, I will do anything to help you. And my son's like, How hard can I make this? So (laughs) (laughs) so it started at birth. That's great. That is great. Yeah. So again, just for the listener, it's just so nice to hear that even with certain intentions and ideas, pushing can show up in so many ways. And as we've even discussed, it has a lot to do. Is it a short cord? Is it the baby's head position? You know, there's Mm so much. So let's circle back to, we talked about advantageous positions, effective pushing, but what have you seen? What are some of the adverse outcomes you've seen from pushing ineffectively?
1: Well, now we get into a few of my little pet peeves regarding yeah, pushing. let's so, jump in. One of the issues surrounding ineffective pushing and adverse outcomes is vaginal or pelvic floor injury. Mm. Um, when I see a patient, um, if I take over a patient and she has a terribly swollen perineum or is bleeding and no sign of delivery in sight, I consider this an injury. And this is an injury caused by overzealous labor nurses, midwives, and obstetricians when they're doing overactive perineal stretching. There is Mm -hmm. no evidence that this vigorous perineal stretching shortens the second stage. Um, Sometimes a very um, gentle exam, some pelvic floor pressure through the vagina can help a patient locate that sweet spot where to push, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But this prolonged, ineffective pushing contributes to hemorrhoids, to exhaustion, and the patient starts to feel defeated. Yeah. So the outcomes of pushing ineffectively are those things that if it's not helping, we need to switch it up, and we may need to wait. Um, sometimes, if a patient doesn't have an epidural. She may need permission to have one if she's pushing ineffectively or not able to push because she's too distracted by the discomfort, Um, maybe take a rest. Mm -hmm. And if she doesn't want an epidural, that's fine. But we need to uh, change up the routine to help minimize pelvic floor injury, exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Another thing is nerve injury in the legs. So when mm, someone's in position, they're on their back, and then we say, put your knees back as far as you can, like towards your ears. And we're stretching their legs out to the side, their knees out to the side, and we're pushing them back towards their ears. Mm-hmm. We're probably, and let's assume they have an epidural, and so they're numb. They can't feel uh, their legs. We're probably overextending their natural range of motion and mm-hmm. causing absolutely. nerve injury.
0: So also labral tears. Fun. I've had students come back from from having their knees pushed back too much and labral tears in their hips. I, I completely out. agree. Absolutely, labrum. Um, like again, the
1: the perineal nerve injury, pelvic floor injury, synthesis uh, pubis injury. I've had a couple of patients over a couple of decades end up in orthopedic, a large orthopedic surgery, literally putting a plate on the symphysis bone because there's been a oh, full geez. separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is overzealous. Uh, people start pushing on my patient's knees. I am constantly saying, please ease up, please ease up, please stop. Or I prefer a closed knee position. Obviously you want to open the pelvic do you, You'd be surprised how much uh, resistance I get to just good new literature, um, about, uh, more advantageous pushing positions.
0: Well, actually I want to dip into that, but I actually tell my students for them to be the ones pulling their legs back because they're going to feel where mm -hmm. there's resistance as opposed to somebody else yanking their knees back. And then let's start to talk about that position thing, Mm -hmm. because we, you know, I feel like it's now gotten a little more common idea of how the pelvic outlet works that when, the yeah. toe, when we're externally rotated, which a lot of people are when their legs are being pushed back because the hips mm-hmm. are more flexible that way, that we're yes. actually closing the outlet as opposed yes. to opening it. We think we're opening it because it looks like you're stretching the muscle tissue, but bone wise, you're actually closing it. Exactly. And we know that internal rotation widens right the sit bones. We also know on your back pushes the sacrum into the pelvis. So I've that's had, correct. Yeah. So we're actually making the doorway smaller. Now mm-hmm. I've had this, I talk about this in prenatal yoga all the time. And then I have students go to their care provider and say, okay, what are my pushing positions? They'll be like, oh, you know, whatever works for you. But then there's a difference between pushing position and what the care provider considers catching the baby and Mm -hmm. they may be very different. So where the student feels like, cool, I talked to my care provider. We talked about making the most space, but how did I end up on my back? So (laughs) how do you think we can talk to care providers about that?
1: Okay. First, I want to make sure that everybody understands that most of your pushing is going to be done with your labor nurse. Okay. If you're in a hospital setting, I'm just assuming we're talking about a hospital yes. setting because Shana and I are hospital nurses. Yes. I've done home births with midwives, which is nice. The very last one that I did was a friend who had doula all of her babies and she birthed her last one in her bathtub and it was fantastic. She could do whatever she wanted. But in the hospital setting, it's usually the OB that has objections to alternative pushing positions. And what I interpret that is the provider is uncomfortable with other positions like hands and knees or sideline. The other thing is I don't really like when I hear language like, well, I'm trying to talk my doctor into, or I'm trying to let my doctor know that I want to. We as patients need to take back sort of the agency and say, these are the positions that I'd like to try. And I am going to try these. Mm. If there's a position that the baby doesn't like. And when I say, Baby goes on one side, we get decelerations or late D-cells. Those are problematic if prolonged. Or uh, if you have an epidural that's too dense, you can't get into hands and knees. But patients and nurses should be trying several different positions to see what works. So it's that permission asking that's problematic language for me. These are the positions I would like to try and this is my intent. That's what I think might help.
2: I think what helps a lot too is uh, the laboring person and her partner taking a class together where they hear Uh this language and then the partner can be the one to advocate for these different positions and tell the nurse. So we're assuming that the nurse is going to be more likely to be okay with these different pushing positions, which normally she is. Uh Um, And then the partner can be like, hey, remember how we learned about side-lying internal rotation of the femur pushing? That's a long name for it, but just (laughs) side-lying pushing. And then the Mm -hmm. nurse could be like, oh, let's try that. Yeah. Let's get you into that position. And then you see how it works. You see how effective she can push in that position. If it's not working out, then switch your hands and knees. But when all the onus is put on the laboring person, sometimes her mind just isn't going there. She's just thinking, I'm pushing as hard as I can, or I'm just trying to get this baby out. She's not thinking about her notes from her birth class Mm -hmm. about all the different pushing positions. So um, if a partner, a doula, someone else, or maybe you talk to your labor and delivery nurse before you even got to the pushing stage and you Mm -hmm. said, this is really important to me. I want to try out all these different pushing positions to find out what feels best and what works best. And when my provider comes in the room and is asking me to be on my back or whatever, I'm going to say no, <laughs> or I I need you to help me advocate that like, whatever position I'm in is the one I want to stay in because it's the most comfortable. Now yeah. let's just imagine that that's not going to (laughs) happen. And the provider comes in and says, get on your back. Mm -hmm. And you are not wanting to put up a fight. You comply, you get on your back. We can adapt the back position to be more conducive for pushing. So what you can do is roll up a towel or a sheet, slide it under your right hip. This is going to kind of tilt you so that your sacrum, your tailbone, has a little more space; it's not flat up against the the bed, and you can have one of your knees internally rotated um, instead of both knees driven backwards.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe
2: one knee is back, but then the other one is internally rotated. So we can Ooh. modify this a little bit. So we're we're kind of you know obeying our provider or, you know, what they ask, I hate saying obeying, but, um, but then we're modifying it to help open up the outlet of the pelvis. And it's also Um, the
1: expectation of the nurse advocate also to be able to say, you know, we're doing really, really well in this position and this is what this patient's decided and this baby is going to come out in the next few minutes. So how about we just do this? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I like those suggestions. In fact, I want to go further into that. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, let's talk about how to get the nurse on the birthing team. We'll be right back.
3: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues.
0: Okay, we are back. So I really like what you said about using the nurse and bringing them into the team. So I guess, how do I go into this? What if the nurse is resistant to being on the team and be like, yeah, let's get you with your hip elevated. You know, what if they don't have that knowledge as well?
1: Okay, great question. And again, as a labor and delivery nurse, I'm going to tell you that the dynamics in labor and delivery have become almost unrecognizable um, because there's so many team players. Sometimes you have a nurse who's trying to have a relationship with their patient and have these conversations, yet there's maybe other people in the mix, and the patient doesn't want to communicate directly with the nurse. They prefer to. Um, talk to their labor support or doula. So first we have to figure out what the dynamic in the room is. Mm. I have spent more time in the last two or three years trying to navigate my way through labor and delivery nursing. um, As also as a doula, a birth educator and a labor nurse where I fit into, and I'm putting quotes in the air here, Deb, the team, Mm -hmm. I want to establish a relationship with my patient but sometimes there's obstacles for the nurse to do that so if you have a patient if i have a patient who's open to having conversations with me then i'm already 10 steps ahead of the game i'm Mm -hmm. I'm, you know i'm batting 100 i'm doing great and if i have a patient who is resistant or doesn't trust me or it's been set up not to trust where she's chosen to deliver then i'm 10 steps back so i have Mm -hmm. to get that relationship off the ground Now, if a patient says, look, I'm just not feeling it, I don't feel like this nurse is knowledgeable, she's rigid, she isn't allowing me to have a conversation about positions that I want to be in, then she is completely welcome to ask for the charge nurse and make an assignment change. Mm -hmm. However, remember that labor and delivery nurses are not just looking at you, but we're also looking at your unborn baby. Mm -hmm. So What I'm looking at is the fetal heart rate monitor because I'm obligated to act on what I see. So if there's a position that my patient is in that the baby is reacting to negatively per hospital, okay, let's keep in mind, I understand we're talking about institutionalized birth, then my suggestion is going to be to do something to try to alleviate that problem, Mm -hmm. right? So there's that whole thing. So those are the three things. Do I have a relationship? Have I been allowed to have a relationship with my patient? Is the patient been very well educated on institutionalized birth and what I am doing as a labor nurse to deliver care per my hospital's area standard of care? And is it just a total breakdown in communication with the nurse? So, those are the three things that we're up against mm-hmm. to try to, you know, get in there and maintain or even start a relationship with our patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then I liked what you were saying about using, if the relationship is made and the laboring person feels like the nurse is on their team, mm-hmm. then using the nurse to kind of sidestep the idea of that the care provider would be like, okay, get on your back. Mm-hmm. I, that, yeah. That's really, I like that. So let's also talk yeah. about then how to possibly sidestep Valsalva breathing. Because mm-hmm. I get a lot, we talk, mm-hmm. so we teach a TA, a transverse abdominal toning in class, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then teach about how you can use your breath and your body to push baby out instead of just holding your breath and feeling like you're creating more tension in your face and neck yes. and pushing down. And so I've had right. students say, you know, I was all ready to do that breathing that I practiced for months in class, but my care provider <laughs> wanted me to, and I understand intraabdominal pressure. I get the idea of holding your breath, but Mm -hmm. how does that conversation happen? And what if there is not space to have that conversation?
2: I think there's like a, a mid, like a, a, you know, we could meet them halfway. So, um, instead of doing full on, like breathing your baby out, I've found that you can kind of fake it, <laughs> like fake the, the holding your breath and also fake the, um, breathing your baby out by doing this middle way, which is open glottis pushing. So you're, you're taking a deep breath, but you're tightening and you're imagining wrapping your abdominal muscles around your baby and you're holding all that pressure in your abdomen, but you're, you're, the pressure isn't in your face. Your eyes aren't about to bust out of their head, and um, you are—you're still keeping the the flow of air coming through your glottis, but not like you're pursing your lips and blowing out. Like, yeah, yeah. But you're—I'll—I'll I'll try to do a demonstration here. But you take a deep breath, you tighten your abdomen, and now I could still let some air through my glottis. But I wasn't letting out the air completely until I reached the like eight to 10 second mark um, of sustaining that pressure. So that's called open glottis pushing. That's what I teach all of my birth class clients. Um, In the hospital setting, It's there's so much going on. Everybody's yelling at you, push harder, go, go, go. And you feel this like intense pressure to um, to do exactly to do what well you're saying, perform, and to yeah. exactly to perform. <laughs> and then you're doing exactly what you didn't want to do. So it, I think it requires, again, the partner is huge in this, um, some patient advocate to say, oh, we practice this other kind of pushing instead of you yelling at, at her, or, you know, yelling at me, <laughs> can you, can you be the counter or I'd like to be the counter and she's going to push this way. And I mean, the proof is in the pudding when the nurse can see that it's working, then she's, she's not going to scoff at it. She's not going to be like, do it my way. She's going to see that what you're doing is actually effective. And, um, and we got rid of that Valsalva purple pushing where your
0: face is, you know, all red. And, and it's purple. actually adding more tension. If we think about that, we yep. know that when there's tension in the mouth and the throat and the neck, it actually creates tension in the pelvic floor. There's a relationship yep. there. So if Absolutely. we can keep, I call it a soft face, like it, not even yeah. personal lips, cause that's also tightening. So if we can have everything soft and mm. use the breath and use your core and use your belly, I, you know, a lot of people find that effective. Um, but again, oh, not yeah. everyone, like I said, I mentioned like <laughs> I thought that's how I would push out, but I literally was like taking every ounce of effort to get that baby out, so we I guess we never really know
1: and yeah. sometimes it's just a matter of changing it up. Yeah. I might have somebody do closed glottal pushing a couple of times i might I also like um grunt three four mm-hmm. second grunts, especially mm-hmm. when the baby's right on the perineum to help that um if that baby's coming really fast to minimize tearing just to kind of uh, grunt the baby out uh, like. And so we're back to is working and that's yes. comfortable. Yeah.
0: Yes. Are there any tips that I didn't ask about that you want to make sure that we hear?
1: I think that communicating with your caregivers obviously is the most important thing. You don't often know your OB until you give birth because your OB may have been your gynecologist for, seven, you know, for several years right? So when you have those conversations in the office, trying to get them to translate once they get into labor and delivery can be difficult. So Mm -hmm. communicating with your caregiver, allow your labor nurse to establish a relationship with you, even if you've hired labor support, because if there's that fear in the room of us against them, cortisol levels go up, adrenaline goes up, it's more difficult to Uh, bring that oxytocin um, into your body. Um, I find uh, your support teams are the most important part of it. Having a labor class where there's people to talk to. Uh, I have a lot of patients who take online classes and they don't really have anybody to talk to. Mm -hmm. They don't have anybody to call and say, can we go over A, B, and C again? Um, Coming into the hospital, uh, defensive and suspicious frame of mind contributes to a less optimal outcome. I Mm. truly believe that. So a good education, open mindedness, communicate your needs and allow yourself to have a relationship with your nurse as well. She is part of the team. I say she because most labor and delivery nurses are women um, Mm. right now. And, you know, there's more postpartum nurses who are coming in. Who are um, joining our team, which we love. And um, I think it's uh, important. I think that's the most important thing for me is just being relaxed when you come in and not in a defensive mode.
0: I really like that. Yeah. I have
2: another thing that we didn't talk about. So when I teach my birth class clients, I tell them to imagine that they're pushing out the letter J or like a, a curved pipe so that they're. Pushing forward and a slightly up instead of down and back towards hmm. the rectum. That makes so, total
0: sense. Yeah. yeah. So
2: it, sometimes it helps people to imagine. I don't know if you've ever done this, but pushing out a pushing out a tampon <laughs> with just <laughs> breathing. So you're pushing. Out your vagina, right, and that's where your baby's gonna come from and come out of. Um, when when we tell people to push like they're pooping, we're telling them to put too much pressure towards the back, which actually increases their risk for tearing. So when they can imagine that forward and front pushing, I think it helps reduce tearing as well as putting a warm, wet washcloth on their perineum while they're pushing. We're doing some sits baths starting at like 36 37 weeks. Doing a sits bath for like 15 minutes once a day um, can help loosen up that tissue so that we don't even need to go to that intense stretching and you know, perineal quote unquote massaging um, during the pushing stage, so we have less tears less lacerations in the perineum and the labia I
0: love that idea of pushing a tampon out instead of <laughs> pooping it I love that they also think I'd also be curious if you have less Pelvic organ prolapse because mm-hmm. of the pushing more towards the back than the front. Right. But oh, yeah. I I did a, an interview with Dr. Rachel Reed. She's a Australian mm-hmm. midwife, and she talks a lot about get the hands off the perineum unless oh. it's like she you know she's like there's a lot happening fluid wise that in itself is yep. softening the tissue. And she said the only thing if you're going to do anything yet yeah, put that wet washcloth, but otherwise get the hands mm. off there. Hands so, off is my
1: big thing.
0: Hands off when I. See- See young nurses
1: or nurses teaching young nurses for vigorous perineal stretching. I literally I wish I had a ruler in my hand. <laughs> like, get your hands out of there.
0: Yeah. And what was really interesting, I remember as a beginning doula when I saw them doing that massage, I actually felt like I saw these little pinpricks of blood. And I'm like, Are you making it oh more gosh. friable? I'm like, oh it's just my like... gosh. No, you're making it more friable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's That's awful. what you're doing. Yeah. 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 like I said, if my patient is swollen and bleeding before you know, an hour before the baby's born, you've caused perineal injury. Yep. Yeah. We There's we no reason for it.
0: Hands up. All right. So listeners, we've got some really good tips here. So I hope you got a lot out of this. We're going to take one more (laughs) break. When we come back, if you each want to leave us with one final tip or piece of advice for new or expecting parents, it can be from anything in your wheelhouse. We'll be right back.
3: Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.
0: We are back. So what would you like to leave us with?
2: Shayna? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm always thinking about Breastfeeding and lactation. So, um, I think people focus a lot on birth. It's kind of like the wedding day. You know, you focus on uh, preparing for this amazing big day and you're like calling all the vendors and you're making sure you have everything in place and then marriage and, you know, then the baby and breastfeeding and feeding this baby. And so, my best tip, my final piece of advice is to take a breastfeeding class, to find a lactation consultant while you're pregnant, to Absolutely. take a prenatal breastfeeding class and uh, set up a postpartum lactation visit within the first week of getting home with your baby. I love that. All
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, Liz. let's. <laughs>
1: I would say, um, most important thing, find your support team. Um, make sure if you can possibly get a hospital birth based labor class, if you're going to deliver in a hospital, I know people come in and they're very, very surprised at how things are done. Even, even when we're very very flexible. Lots of times I go in, say, whatever you want to do, as long as I can monitor the baby a decent amount of time every half an hour, I'm good. But um, I'm often very surprised at how little people know about the institution, and it is. And whether that's good or bad, being knowledgeable. So you're not caught off guard. I think it's every birth educator and every doula's responsibility to make sure that your patient or client knows what's going to happen. And it kind of alleviates the, uh, alleviates the fear. And that's the,
0: that's the most important thing to me. Amazing. Where can people find your work?
1: I am at birthandbeyond.net. I do online Zoom classes. So I have people in different time zones, um, which is nice. So I don't have to be um, completely, uh, you know, just having patients in Los Angeles. Um, so I have sometimes clients. I only take four or five couples at a time. Uh, it's an online class, a full day intensive, birthandbeyond.net.
2: Amazing. And I um, am most active on my Instagram page, uh, Preparented, that's P-R-E-P-A-R-E-N-T-E-D, like a prepared parent. Um, And I also have a website, preparented.com, and that's where they can schedule a lactation visit or a class and see all of my... um, services that I offer, but on Instagram, I like making videos and just free content. Um, but also for Liz and I, we have our podcast called the birth nurses, and we'd love for you guys to take a listen to what we have to share over there too.
0: Thank yeah. you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think the pushing stage is something people don't often think about. And you gave right. some wonderful tips because yep. it is, it's is—it's a big deal at the end. you got to get the baby oh. out. So thank you. <laughs> thank Our you pleasure. so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg.